This is Each for All, the Cooperative Connection on Vancouver Co-op Radio, broadcasting from the unceded traditional and ancestral territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. We are CFRO 100.5 FM in Vancouver and live online at coopradio.org. Tonight, we are speaking with Battle River Railway Co-op to find out how a community of farmers saved their local short-line railway and are turning it into a local success story. If you're in a business like railroading, where the need for capital is is large, both to finance the ownership of the operation, but also the day-to-day operations, you need to make sure you're, you're, you're a profitable business. That was Matthew Enright, General Manager of Battle River Railway Cooperative in Forestburg, Alberta. I'm your host, Robin Puga. In this episode of Each for All the Cooperative Connection, I sit down with Matthew and profile this unique railway cooperative. There are not so many railway cooperatives here in Canada. Matthew talks us through the challenges and opportunities for a supportive community of farmers in meeting their common needs through local ownership. We'll touch on the economic landscape of farmers in Alberta after the wheat pools demutualized in 2012, and what led to the formation of the Battle River Railway Cooperative, and discuss its cooperative structure and evolution. Here's our interview. Have a listen. So I'm here with uh, Matthew Enright, and uh, Matthew is with the Battle River Railway Cooperative in Northern Alberta. Thanks for joining us today, Matthew. Yeah, pleasure to be here. So this has to be the first uh, cooperative railway that we've heard about here on Each for All, the Cooperative Connection. Can you tell us where you're located in Alberta? Uh, we're headquartered in Forsberg, Alberta. It's a small town. In, uh, we call it East Central Alberta. So about two hours southeast of Edmonton, hour and a half northeast of Red Deer. And... Uh, you are an actual railway um, with uh, several uh, locomotives and you have train tracks that connect up to the CN rail tracks. Can you tell us how this cooperative came to be formed and how you, yeah, and what yeah. your purpose is? Sure. So th- to really understand how we came to be, you have to kind of go back to about two th- early 2000s anyways. Um, and the CN and TP together with the existing grain companies of the time were closing branch lines and closing small elevators. So on our, what became Battle River Railway, there used to be lots of elevators in each little town. And over time, those all were being shut down. And in the early 2000s, I think in 2003, the last elevator on our rail line got shut down. Uh, In response to this, Farmers started to ship grain uh, in what was called producer cars. So they had the uh, legislated right to order cars from the Canadian Grain Commission. And the the railways had an obligation then to service them. So um, in order to, that had been kind of always happening, but when the, on, on this rail line, but when the elevators closed, there was more of a push and more of an organization uh, created. The Battle River Producer Car Group was formed to basically order cars in a large enough block, uh, say 50 or 60 cars at a time, 
so that CN would then give some sort of service for these car for these cars to come down onto the rail line because it was the only business on the rail line. So if there was just two cars ordered or something like that, you know, you can you could you have the right to order the car, and CN has the obligation to deliver it. But there's no talk about when they have to actually deliver those cars. Okay. So by beat, yeah. So by there, so there was a group form and kind of had the the basis there and uh, and had a bit of history involved in doing business or, or loading these producer cars. So when the rail line was put up for discontinuance by CN sometime in like 2007 or something like that, there has to be a hit, history written on this with definitive dates. Um, but you know, the group was already there, had already been interacting with the rail line and kind of had grown to, you know, liked to to use the rail line and saw it as maybe as a, a key part of their farming operation. Uh, so there was a base there of farmers to to go ahead and try to purchase the rail line. So so that's why the co-op model was formed. There was already a base of of users on the, on the line. Um, and so co-op was formed, raised about $4 million at the time, um, borrowed the balance. Um, do I have that? Might be more like, yeah, something like that. It might be more like $3 million. And uh, the majority of the money was raised from our farmer members through, uh, we called it a delivery share. So for each rail car you loaded in a year, you were expected to buy one of these delivery shares for $5,000. So we raised a couple million from that. And then we're a new gen co-op in Alberta. That is means you don't have to be, a, you can sell shares to non-members. You can sell these investment shares. <laughs> so we ra raised around a million dollars of these from these investment shares as well, which basically you can think of it as debt. They, 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 they gave, they gave us money and we pay them an annual dividend every year. Um, so that, that's how we came to be. And, you know, we, so we were bait formed to move our members grain. Uh, in the producer car model. Um, and so 2010, we came around and, you know, a bunch of farmers bought the, bought the line, started the line, no, no rail background at all. And it was a whole bunch of learning, uh, learning as soon as we, as the rubber hit the road. Uh, <laughs> and it kind of, it's funny to look back at what we didn't know. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> and, and kind of some of the assumptions that were made that were quite wrong, <laughs> but Sometimes you need to, when you're starting a new business, you need to not be aware of all the potential risks. Otherwise, you would never take them. <laughs> <laughs> so your members are uh, the farmers, the grain producers. And um, these are, uh, I, I will admit, like this is a area of the economy I am not very familiar with. But clearly, there's a lot of money in grain production in northeastern Alberta um, or central eastern Alberta. The, um, uh, how many members do you have, uh, and how big are these farms and how much grain do they move? Yeah. Well, you're right that grain farming is a very capital intensive business. Um, uh, so we, when we started, we had about 150 members, wow. um, and you know, grain, grain farming has, has, and probably will or maybe forever continue to get bigger operations and more acres uh and you know the economy is a scale uh 
were or are, are important in the business and as we as the as the industry continues to go to like more technology is involved and more automation it allows farms to scale larger and management to to handle handle more acres um so yeah you asked me about the number of and so like a typical farm like 20 some years ago would in my area of the world would have been probably a thousand to two thousand acres um and that has only increased um i also run us run a grain farm but i met a i i have 1100 acres of and i would be one of the smallest small farmers or one of the smaller farmers around uh typically now it's more the average would probably be around that three to four thousand acre farm and uh and you know maybe maybe up to six or seven thousand we'd have members and then there's kind of the next step where there's uh farms with lots of employees uh and, and more of employees doing the work rather than owner operator um and they would be you know there's some i think they're 30 to 40 50,000 acre farms around and uh yeah and that seems to be a trend that is definitely continuing mm-hmm. yeah i think that you know consolidation is happening a lot in all across uh, industries but um and then so uh, I'm just again trying to get a, a sense about how this industry works. You, you probably, uh, you know, you're you're planting your crops, you're you're sowing your crops, and then uh, putting them in in train cars and shipping them off to market, right? I, I saw that um, from your website. There's a connection between the grain producers and people purchasing them through this purely Canadian foods uh, subsidiary type of uh, market. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that I'm going to try to keep it succinct here and to, to describe, but like, so our, we, again, we started by, it was mostly producers loading wheat into rail cars. And that would have been because um, the Canadian wheat board was around at the time of our origin. They were the monopoly exporter of uh, Canadian, Western Canadian wheat in Durham. Um, and so, and they worked very closely with producer car loaders um, you know, directly with the, the farmers kind of, um, to, so we would, the grain would go in rail cars, typically would go to an export position, Vancouver or Prince Rupert. There's terminals there that would unload the rail cars and end up loading boats, uh, for the Canadian wheat board. And that all changed in 2012, uh, when the wheat board was their single desk was done away. Um, and that was a big challenge i guess for our railroad because we were built on moving board grains um it actually ushered in a couple of years of like record grain volumes for us just through like best way to word would be the chaos of uh 2013 and 14 crop years um just larger crops far new entry new entrance into the market for buying grain from farmers and uh and then working with the big railroads to move that grain to, to export. And, uh, then there wasn't really enough capacity to move the grain. And yet there wasn't really very good ways of like deciding who gets the capacity so that companies could plan mm-hmm. forward for that. Uh, you know, in the wheat board world, they, they were kind of the arbiter of who got the capacity to move grains, uh, together with the, with the railroads. And it became much more the railroads and, and it was kind of figuring out how that, system can work um so 
in that time, you know, we, we created what, but we didn't really even realize that we were creating a grain brokerage. We were brokering our farmer's grain in rail cars to buyers, either export buyers. We've also had a partnership ever since the wheat board went away or partner supplier with Rogers Foods. They're a flour mill in Chilliwack, so in the Lower Mainland. And they also have a mill in Armstrong, BC. So, um, so we've been supplying wheat to them ever since um, in one way or the other. Um, but so we had a brokerage for a number of years. And then as like the producer car model really struggled because um, from 2015 forward, because there got to be kind of extra capacity in the system uh, so that grain companies could get all the grain they needed internally through their own elevator systems. There wasn't a market for these producer cars into the export positions or export terminals. The only place for them was to go to like direct to flour mills or like Rogers Foods or to uh, container stuffers who would then transload that grain from a rail car to a container, put it on a boat and it goes over to a flour mill somewhere, usually in Southeast Asia. Uh, but what flour mills want is a consistent product. And so if you got 10 to 20, 30 different farmers loading a rail, they're, they're all their own rail cars of wheat, the wheat is not homogenous it has a lot of different usually like protein and moisture characteristics and the the flour mill when they get one container they want it to be very similar to the next container or one rail car to be similar so the grain needs to be kind of commingled um to make sense of that so yeah so producer car kind of kind of world was going away so we we at battle river we started we became a licensed and bonded grain company uh, with the Canadian Grain Commission. We did that for a couple of years where we were buying grain into elevators on our rail line that we didn't own, uh, farmers themselves owned. And then that kind of morphed into our partnership with Purely Canada Foods, where they are, uh, at one point, at one point, it looked like we were maybe going to be, have an ownership stake in Purely Canada Foods, but as as things have worked out, we've become a supply or just a toll supplier for them. So they buy the grain from our farmers. Um, the grain comes now. Now we own the elevators on our rail line. So we elevate it and put it in rail cars and ship it to CN interchange with them. And so our business is elevating and, 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 and moving the rail freight. Um, and purely then its job is to manage all the purchases and the sales of the grain. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah, so it's, um, you know, typically our wheat yeah, going to a flour mill. Canadian Western Red Spring wheat is what we grow in our area. It's a high protein, really high quality bread, uh, bread flour um, that would be used in North America. It'd probably be used on its own to make bread. When it goes over to the Southeast Asia, it's usually blended with poor quality wheat to help increase the quality of the flour that is, that is made there. For, you know, if you're making flatbreads or something like that, um, you don't need the quite the same quality. Well, it's interesting to hear that you are using those iconic uh, grain elevators to do this uh, mixing and uh, and still loading of uh, your rail cars. And yeah, so, the... so there's there's one one grain elevator at Forsberg uh, yeah. at our home base that is like the old wooden crib elevator that, you know, the Prairie Sentinel 
The other elevators were built in 2014 and 15. They're like steel bins structures. So they're not, they're not, a, you know, the iconic look. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you don't build those old wooden ones anymore. Like it's amazing if you, you could go into deep depth on those guys, but like they, I don't think any two elevators were built the same. They're, they they kind of didn't have a blueprint. They just kind of showed up and built with the materials that they had. And the, it was the same crews. They pretty much knew how to do it. So they just did it. And, you know, every, every elevator would be unique in that sense. That, yeah. Neat. Thanks. Yeah. So Sorry, um, I cut you off. Oh, I was just going to say, so you've got, um, uh, you know, the, the rail line you're now responsible for the cooperative and, uh, the elevators and now, um, well, and, and locomotives as well. So you must have like a, a pretty large crew to do all of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So when we started, it was a hundred percent volunteer. I, I've kind of been involved since the get go, uh, started as a volunteer, uh, moved into kind of, I think in 2012 or so I, a couple of years I started getting paid. And then I've been the GM since, uh, 2015, but we've, our staff has definitely grown. Um, we have, a we're up to, I think 18 people on our payroll and more and more of those are becoming full-time. So, yeah, and we do all of our track maintenance in-house. Uh, we do, I mean, all is maybe too extreme because we do hire some contractors for some bigger jobs. Um, we do, we do hire a contractor for our major locomotive maintenance, but we own four 3000 horsepower, six axle locomotives that are late seventies, early eighties vintages. Um, and, uh, so they're, they're kind of getting, they're getting to the age where not everyone is familiar with maintaining them and parts are getting to be a little bit harder to find, but they are, they're quite the workhorse for us. And, uh, then we've trained local people to do operations, rail operations. Um, and we do have some XCN, uh, employees as well that, uh, locomotive engineers that we, that we rely on and they're, 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 they're retirees. So they're, they're kind of, they're casual for us, which works well. And then, and then they're starting to train our next generation of, uh, locomotive engineers as well. And I saw on your website, you've also, um, got other services. You're not just grain, uh, some tourism with the battle river train excursions and some other rail services. You want to tell us a little bit about those? Sure. So yeah, since I started, we, we started uh, a rail car storage business. Um, and I guess the, the simplest way I think to explain it is like, uh, like we provide kind of surge capacity for, you know, like oil refineries, uh, chemical plants that, yeah, the Edmonton area has, is very dense on, uh, on, on oil and chemicals and stuff like that. And same with the Red Deer area. And so when the, these customers, they'll typically have enough cars so that, you know, most of them are in transit somewhere. But uh, times when either business slows down, picks up, or the cars transit faster or slower than normal, they can end up with too many cars at their plant and not have a place to put them. You can't stack rail cars on top of each other. Um, and so about 10 years ago, the class ones changed their philosophy on holding customers' cars uh, before they would hold them in their yards and charge them uh, what's called demerge. And they changed that and they said, no, we're keeping our yards for us so that we can stay fluid and keep our operations moving. If you do have too many cars around here, we're going to 
make you put them to cars to storage. So it's been a good opportunity, really good business for us. Like it's, a, it's been transformational for our railroad, like our grain business is like a kind of a break-even operation. Um, but the car storage has provided us with revenue and profits to be able to invest back into our, both our railway. We bought our grain, grain elevators on our line now, um, and, you know, in retired debt and stuff like that. Wow. That's so cool. it, it, it's been very, very good for us. And the big advantage we have is that all the other potential short line railways in Alberta, in central Alberta were tore up, uh, in the, in the eighties, nineties and, and early two thousands. So we were the last ones to kind of, that was going to be tore up. Contrast that to Saskatchewan, the Saskatchewan government had a program in the nineties to really support the creation of short line. So they understood that if the railways go, that means more grain and other products that are going to have to be moved by truck and they don't have the well, they have the, so many roads already, but they're all beat up and uh, it's very expensive. They understand that it's very expensive to have the, the road network. Um, and so here in Alberta, all the short, yeah, you know, we don't have Bay short line railways. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah. So that's been a good business for us. And then through the Battle River train excursions, that's a not-for-profit that, that is uh, our founder at BRR, Ken Peter. That's his kind of, it's his, it's his baby. Um, or it has been over time anyways, uh, he's maybe stepped away a bit from it now. Um, but it was back when I, before I started, before we started the rail car storage business, our railway was, I would say it was really sleepy and had a lot of capacity and you could imagine that you could run a passenger, passenger excursions every weekend and go wherever you wanted on the rail line, but it's changed significantly. So. The, the passenger excursions now run between six and 10 excursion trips a year um, with the main target audience of people from outside the the local area. And they provide a unique uh, in, unique way to see the countryside. So typically you'll go from one point to, from point A to point B and either, and usually have a, a meal and, and, an, and or an experience and then go back to point A get in your car and, and you're done for the day. Yeah. But they're, they're typically, you know, six to eight hour events. So it's, it's a full day on the train. And, uh, you know, then we've also been working with the friends uh, or the Battle River train excursions to try to offer more events geared towards our local people. So like a way for the, for people that live in our area to just hop on the train and go from, go from one little town to the next little town for, mm -hmm maybe a community event that's happening at those. Um, like we just did a Santa days Alliance hasn't there at the end of our line, they have an annual Santa day. Uh, and so we let people hop on at Forsberg run down there. And then during the day we did some mini runs. So like 20 minute trips. So people could just experience it, just do that by donation. And we were, you know, I think we've, then we be, we matched the donations and I think we with three different Christmas, events and we raised over i want to say over five thousand dollars total for local food banks and uh you know and gave a pe local people an opportunity to to experience what it what it is to ride on on the train because typically they're not going to dish out the ticket price to have an eight-hour day to go somewhere where they you know a 15-minute drive anyways uh, yeah. to get to this place and have this meal uh so it's really you know it's it's uh, it's good to have a uh, something that 
that's for them yeah. as well. That's cool. And that's a passenger train car that you, you also run then or have. Yeah. So, so the, the battle river train excursions, they own that passenger. Uh, they bought a coach fundraised and bought a coach a while ago. Uh, they have an open air gondola car that they've renovated and, and then an old caboose as well. So, so they got three pieces there that they're an interesting thing they're doing now too, is they're opening up for charters. So we've had. We've had like um, some uh, wedding. We've had uh, reunions, whether it's like class reunions or family reunions, or corp or maybe like a corporate event where they can rent the train for a period of time and and have a have a bit of a party on the train. Um, and it's uh, you know it's a unique unique experience that that they can that people can have, and that the you know the Battle River train excursions can kind of leverage their their capacity to put on a good event and earn some income. That's so, really nice. I mean, that's, uh, yeah, a truly unique experience. And uh, I also really appreciate you giving us the lay of the land for the, um, the grain production there in Alberta, because it is not something that we think about very often where our flour comes from uh, and other products coming from this and how it all gets to us. So uh, it's been an interesting uh, insight into that. Um, one of the things I am curious about, just thinking about the cooperative structure, obviously with wheat pools, you, you've you been familiar with this structure. Um, is there uh, other cooperatives in your neck of the woods that are inspirational to you or um, like the, why that cooperative structure just made sense for this is where I guess I'm a bit curious. Yeah, well, ever since I, I've kind of started not ever since, but like for the first while as that we ran as a co-op, I kind of, not, I knew we were a co-op, but I really didn't act like we were a co-op. I, 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 you know, I, I ran us like we're a business and we just had a different ownership structure. And that to me, like there's, there's lots of different ways to structure a co-op, but we are a for-profit co-op. Yeah. Uh, and, and I often think that there's, there's other co-ops in our area, like, um, uh, their seed cleaning plants would be one. Um, but anyways, they can, I, I feel like they are for-profit co-ops, co but they kind of forget about the, that they, they're for-profit. They kind of act like they're, they're a not-for-profit co-op. And so, you know, in a, if you're in a business like railroading, where the, the need for capital is, is large, uh, it's it, you know, both the finance, you know, just the, the ownership of the operation, but also the day-to-day -day operations, you need to make sure you're, you're, you're a profitable business. Um, and so, so that's, you know, I'm again, we're going a little off from your question there, but you know, in the past couple of years now, we've done a restructuring, um, it might be a little into the weeds, but previously, basically our, all our members had a claim to like, if there's a, if say there's a hundred members, everyone would have a claim to 1% of the equity, the book equity value that we carry on our balance sheet. And so when they depart, they can leave, they can ask for that in, in cash. Mm -hmm. Um, and we felt like that was, that was a challenge for us, both from, uh, the continuation of our co-op with our members getting up there in age, as well as a difficulty to bring in new members because a new member would have to purchase or invest that same amount of, uh, of money into into the co-op 
So initially it was a thousand dollars um investment back in 2010 to become a member. That grew to sixty-five thousand dollars by by like 2021. Wow. Um so so it was a bit difficult. So we we did a kind of a restructure, we froze, did a easiest to, to call it like a freeze and rollover. And so our next our initial members kind of they got sixty-five thousand dollars that that we're now in the process of either cashing those out or or turning those into investment shares in Battle River Railway. And we're able to bring new members on um, back for $1,000. And now members, instead of just having a claim to a percentage of our book equity, they earn uh, patronage by doing grain business with us. So when they deliver grain to us, um, at the end of the year, we say, okay, we made X dollars. We're going to attribute the plan is roughly 50% of our earnings to patronage every year. And then we split that out amongst our members based off, I guess, first, how much they've invested with us, how many of those delivery shares they own. And then secondly, how much grain they delivered to us. Um, so we are kind of kind of creating a, a co-op grain company as well. That is also owns a, a railway. Um, and I guess, check in with me in like five or 10 years and we'll see, see where we're at. Um, I, I, I was at a co-op conference in the past few months here and one presenter was talking about how he thinks that there's an opportunity for a, for a co-op owned grain company to surface in Western Canada. The challenge being obviously the, all the capital that's required and the kind of the trust that would be needed uh, to start with. Uh, and so, you know, we're doing it on a small scale. It's really just kind of one small location here. Um, but, you know, one thing about when you're marketing grain, there's a lot of trust that's needed um, when dealing with a grain company. And uh, so I think with farmers being owners of of us, that can help anyways. And uh, and, and can, be a, can be a good thing. Thing so it can create more of a relational relationship business rather than a than a transactional business between uh, the farmer and the green whoever who he's selling the grain to. Yeah, there's a, a high level of trust there when uh, you're all doing this together, right? Um, you're you're all farmers. You're all working towards the same ends, and uh, yeah, I mean, the ultimately that that um, surplus dividends is going to everybody. So uh, I can see that that being a good way to establish um, some high level of trust. Yeah. Yeah. It, it comes with challenges, like growth challenges. Being a co-op would be and yeah. keeping, um, you know, governance in place that that fits. I think a lot of other, if you look back at like the wheat pools, their downfall seems to have been that they were too successful to an extent. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then and kind of hubris thinking that they could go and run other businesses that weren't core to what what they do uh and then uh and no and management that was their interests were misaligned with the members they were they were quite able to just take on risks that um that they really shouldn't have been able to take on um so, yeah. so that's I mean, I think that's... we see that quite often in larger cooperatives, the management uh, losing touch with members. Um, so that's an interesting thing. One of the models I've heard uh, Agripur um, 
seems to walk a line there where they're very intentional about staying connected with members and keeping them informed and educating members. So that's an interesting model I've seen. Yeah, actually, I at that same conference, a neighbor, um, well, you know, neighbor out here, he's probably 30 kilometers away or something. He's a dairy farmer and uh, he invited me to see, I got, and I haven't taken off on it yet. I got to go visit his farm to get a tour. And then I talk about the, like the, I don't know if he's part of Agripure or, but he's, you mentioned that they're part of a, uh, a co-op with the, on the dairy side of things. And I, you know, to be honest, I wasn't really, didn't really know that. Um, and so there's a lot for us to learn by talking amongst with other co-ops because, you know, the challenges we're facing aren't new, uh, or unique, but, you know, you hopefully, hopefully we can learn from other people's successes, but, you know, there's also failures that you can learn from too. And to, so that you don't fall into those same sort of traps. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Matthew. This has been really interesting. And um, I feel like I know a lot more about how grain gets from the farms to our table. Thanks so well, much. At least at Battle River Railway, you do. Uh, you know, it might be yeah. different elsewhere. But. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we could talk about it for a while longer. I mean, it's a it's it's a big it's a big industry out there. And uh, we don't think about it enough here on the West Coast. Awesome. Thanks right. so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Robin. That was our interview with Matthew Enright, General Manager of Battle River Railway Co-op in Forsberg, Alberta. If you'd like to learn more about Battle River Co-op, you can check out their website, battleriverrailway.ca. And that's it for us here on this edition of Each for All, the Cooperative Connection. I'm your host, Robin Puga, and my special thanks to Sandy Goldman, producer, Thank you for listening on Vancouver Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM in Vancouver, and Kootenai Co-op Radio, CJLY 93.5 FM in Nelson, British Columbia. Tune in next week for more updates and news from the co-op and social economy sectors.